Spencer made that video in four days, like created the whole thing. Isn't that nuts? If you ever wonder how nerdy our staff is, there you go. No, it's a fantastic video. He showed us all that and we're like, man, we wish, we wish the book of James was longer so we could make like continuations of this and just eventually make it into like a big thing. Um, yeah, it's very, very cool. So how is everybody? Good, good. Hey, Corey Drake did a really, really phenomenal job last week. If you weren't here for that, yeah, he just, uh, he did a really good job. Um, he's not here tonight because they did a lock-in last night, and if you've ever been a student pastor and done something like that, uh, the older you get, the more difficult those become. So, um, yeah, so, so he's resting, recuperating. Okay, so if it's your first time here, we're getting back into what we typically do. We just got done with the series. Uh, Dave caught it, taught a couple lessons, did a fantastic job. Uh, I got to teach a couple, and then Corey finished this up and did a fantastic job. If you've never been here, this is, I, I feel like, what we uh, are most comfortable doing. We go through whole books of the Bible. We're going to do the book of James. We're going to finish up with James, do a vision service, which we typically do a couple of times a year, and then we're going to be in you know, the book of Acts until, you know, I don't know, for a long time. And we'll be in the book of Acts, which I'm also very excited about. But uh, if you've never been here, we go chapter by chapter, line by line. The book of James is in the New Testament. If you go, it's right after the book of Hebrews, I believe. Yeah, double check that, just making sure things didn't shift around since the last time I picked up my Bible. Uh, it's right after the book of Hebrews, towards the end of the New Testament. And a couple of quick things. I'm not going to go into a bunch of details about James as a person, um, because James doesn't really go into a bunch of details about who he was as a person. He was very humble. Okay, but a couple of quick things about the author and kind of about this book before we just dive right into chapter one, which you could teach a month just on chapter one, but, but we're just going to, you know, con condense that to one service. Uh, James was actually the half-brother of Jesus Christ, which is pretty interesting. Gives him a very interesting perspective on Christianity. I say half-brother, uh, same mom, different dads, right? <laughs> Jesus' father, of course, is the heavenly father, and then James' father was, of course, Joseph, okay? So they had same dad, but, uh, or I'm sorry, same mom, different dads. Um, and he was not a Christian during the time of Jesus until after the crucifixion. It wasn't until after the crucifixion that Jesus' brother believed he was the Messiah. Um, an extremely well-known man, which means a lot of people knew who he was. Um, he led a, a very big congregation of people in Jerusalem, was a very well-known person, um, but also extremely humble. So when we get into the book of James, James did not lift himself up. In fact, he never just blatantly says that he was the brother of Jesus. If I was Jesus' legitimate brother, right, everyone would know that. And James just didn't tell anyone that. Um, he was very humble about it. What makes the book of James a favorite, the reason why a lot of people like the book of James, the reason why I love the book of James, is it may be the most straightforward and practical book of the entire Bible. Not a lot of ambiguity, not a lot of gray areas. James says, do this, don't do this. Very practical, very straightforward, a very logical book of the Bible uh, when it comes to Christian living, okay? And it was also written, this book of the Bible, it was written to new converts, mostly Jewish new converts, but any new converts to the faith. So this was written to Christians, and that doesn't mean that non-Christians can't get anything out of it, but it was written mainly to Christians who were new in their faith and needed reminding about what it means to live as a Christian for Jesus Christ, okay? So a very straightforward book. I think you're going to enjoy this. We're going to spend about five weeks on it, so one week for every chapter, unless, you know, I just get hung up on something and we stretch it out, but I should be okay. Uh, but there's a lot in here. It's very, very dense, and even though it's a short book of the Bible, it's tremendously uh, helpful and impactful, and I think you guys will really, really like it. So I'm going to pray. Um, you don't have everything I'm going to say in your notes this week. When I started typing everything out, I came up with 50% more than what you have. So I had to, con I know, guys, I could be up here for hours. I'm not going to be, but I could have been. Um, so I typed it all out, and I'm like, Ugh. so I spent like six hours, literally, that's not an exaggeration, getting it all on one page for you guys. So... Uh, don't be scared. Uh, we'll get out of here tonight, you know, I think. So uh, anyways, let's pray and we'll dive into this. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. God, we just want to thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for bringing everyone here tonight. Uh, thank you, Lord, for sunny weather today. God, thank you, Lord, that you gave us a book like this that is just so easy to understand and so straightforward and so practical on how we live. And Lord, I pray that you help me teach this in a way that gives you honor I pray that you open up our eyes and our ears so we can hear it and receive it and do it, Lord, and apply it to our lives. Father, we want to pray for every church in our community. 
God, we want to pray that we all grow closer to you, that your kingdom is advanced in our city, Lord. We pray for our government officials, for our police officers, our firefighters, our sheriff's department, and all the people that keep us safe in this town, God. And we thank you for such a great city that we live in. Lord, we love you. We lift you up and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you should have got a notes handout. If you have a smartphone, if you have the YouVersion app, the Bible app, if you click on the bottom right button and then go to events, our church will pop up and everything's there. Notes, scripture, everything. Very handy tool, okay? I'm going to read a little bit. I'll do my best to break this down and uh, see where the Lord leads us tonight, okay? All right, here we go. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes and the dispersion, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God and he will give it to you generously without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all of his ways. Okay? So the first thing we get if you're a new Christian and if you would have been receiving this letter from James, and if you're in here and you're a new Christian or you're not even a Christian yet, we have been told a lie in modern-day Christianity that becoming a Christian means an easier life, and that is not true. Christian does not equal easy. If it did, everyone would be a Christian. So right out of the gates, James focuses on the fact that we will go through trials in our faith, various trials, he says. But he wants us to be assured that not only can we overcome those trials, that through those trials we can become better people. So we actually come out better on the other side of adversity. So not only can we make it, God will make us better through this. So James even goes so far to say, hey, when you go through these things, consider it a great joy. So James challenges us to look at the trials in our life as an opportunity to grow closer to God. And if we have a positive attitude, I put that in blue because that's, that, that's hard for us. It's hard for me, right? If we have a positive attitude, we can start to realize that God intends to test our faith in order to, pro, to produce in us perseverance, something Dave taught about a couple of weeks ago. Because without trials in our life, our character would be underdeveloped. You ever meet someone that's just never gone through anything bad? They're kind of out of touch with reality, right? Everything's good. You know, they've never been through, and I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. But typically when we go through junk in our life, we don't find someone who hasn't been through anything and ask their advice. We find someone that's been through the ringer a couple of times, life has thrown them some curveballs, and they've made it, and we say, dude, how did you do this, right? Those are the people that have deep character. They've been through it, and they've made it out, and those are the people we seek for advice and for counsel, okay? So whenever we go through these kinds of trials, God wants to make us better. He wants to produce things in us. He may also want to remove things from us. So whenever we experience tough times, we need to ask ourselves, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to cut off of me? What are you trying to remove me from, right? Because God may be trying to protect us from a road that we're going down. So he puts a roadblock there to get us to go a different direction. So when God trims the fat off of us, I wish that was a literal term, but I mean it figuratively, right? When God trims the fat off of us, he lightens our load so we can develop stamina and so we can develop endurance in this life. What God is doing in us is he is making us stronger, He's giving us staying power, the ability to continue going down the road he wants us to go down. And if we continue down this road, we become mature and we become complete. Becoming a follower of Jesus is a lifelong endeavor. Here's another lie that I think modern day Christianity has sold us, is that we give our life to Jesus and that's the end. And that is not the end. We continue to grow in this relationship. We continue to get closer and closer and closer to him until we either pass away or Jesus comes back for us. 
And as we gain perseverance through our trials, we grow up spiritually into mature and complete Christians. This means we don't live the same kind of lives that we did when we first became believers. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we start to make a change and we start to show the fruit of being saved. Now, this may offend you, and I don't mean for it to offend you, but this is just what the Bible says. If we are not showing fruit of our salvation, we may not be saved. We may be dead. Now, Corey, that sounds really harsh. I'm just, I'm just mirroring what Jesus said. There's so many analogies in the Gospels, agricultural analogies about crops and about different kinds of things producing fruit. And one of the things Jesus says is he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit is bad. Jesus said, a tree will be known by its fruit. So if you never produce anything good in your life, if there's no love coming out of you, if there's no compassion, if there's no work ethic, if these things are not being produced out of you, you can judge a tree by its fruit. That's, how, that's what Jesus told us to do. And so one of the fruit, right, one of the giftings that God gives us is wisdom. And James says that if we lack wisdom, all we have to do is ask God to make us wise. We talk about the gifts of the Spirit in this church because I believe God wants us to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And there are certain gifts of the Spirit that people are really attracted to because they're just very supernatural, right? Like speaking in tongues or prophecy or healings. And those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those gifts. But I think we fail to ask for the ones that maybe aren't as sexy, right? And one of the things that the world lacks in a big way is wisdom. And so God says, we lack it, ask for it. And not only will he give it to us, he will give it to us general, uh, generously and without criticizing us. So if we say, God, I need to be wise, because you're not wise. No, that's not what God says. He gives it to you without making fun of you, and he gives it to you in big proportions. And so a lot of people find, or they think that they find themselves wise, right? But earthly wisdom is self-serving. Godly wisdom is a fear of the Lord and a dependence on him to provide for us and to guide us. That is godly wisdom. And we need to ask for that. God, give me wisdom, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. That needs to be a, a very staple part of our prayers, right? And when we ask for God's wisdom in this very confusing, crazy world, we need to ask for it with confidence. When, when, we, are, when we find ourselves in the middle of hard times, and we seek his wisdom, we need to feel confident that if we ask for God's wisdom, he will give us that wisdom, that he will help us. But if we ask God doubting his character, if we ask God for something doubting that he's going to give it to us when it comes to wisdom, we can't expect to receive wisdom. So if we're to grow to be more like Christ, this is very important for me, we must know the character of Christ. And the character of Christ is that he is a loving dad he is a friend, and he is a provider. I don't know if you ever find yourself in this. I ask God for things, but I don't feel like I'm worthy to receive that. And quite frankly, I'm not, right? But that what's, that's what makes God so beautiful is though I haven't done anything to earn his grace and his gifts, he loves me so much that he wants to give them to me. And I need to know that that's God's character. And I need to be reminded of that. And I need to ask him, knowing that he loves me, that he's gonna help me, that he's gonna be there for me. And so what James says is we must not be double-minded. We can't love God and doubt God at the same time. So following Christ is more than just our emotions. Our emotions are a very dangerous thing. <laughs> and so we must make a conscious decision to follow Jesus in our minds, not just in our heart. Do we follow Jesus emotionally? Of course we do. But something Josh Brooker says that I think is brilliant is he says, emotions make great servants and horrible masters that we don't simply follow our emotions, we follow what we know to be true. So in our minds, we need to make up, we must intellectually follow God because our emotions can be absent at times, right? Or they can trick us. Our emotions can deceive us at times. So we must know in our minds who our Savior is. Now, three of the most important words in the entire Bible, in my opinion, are written in Romans 8. Paul says this, he says, I am persuaded. No matter what came Paul's way, right? And Paul dealt with a lot of adversity. No matter what came Paul's way, no matter how he felt, he was persuaded 
that God loved him and would never separate himself from him. And this is where we as Christians need to land. We need to be persuaded. We must know regardless of our feelings, regardless of the circumstances, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Do I feel him all the time? I don't. But I know, I know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we are not settled in our minds, all of us in this room, who God is, we will become indecisive. And James says if we are indecisive, we will become unstable. And this is where many of us have found ourselves, right? We haven't completely said we are persuaded, and because of that, we've become unstable. Marriages, economies, governments, our individual lives have become unstable because we have not fully committed intellectually to who we follow, okay? Next part. The brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation, but the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. A man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after, his, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Let me pause there for a second. If you're one of those people that writes in your Bible, verse 15 should be a little star or something behind that. That is one of the most impactful scriptures on sin in the entire Bible. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With Him there is no variation or shadow cast by its turning. By His own choice, He gave us a new birth by the message of truth, so that we should be the first fruits of His creatures. Okay, so wherever we are, guys, this is a huge part of chapter one because it affects all of us. He covers all of us. Wherever we are, we need to be thankful for where we are. Verse nine through 11 focuses on two different kinds of trials, which all of us in this room probably fall into one of these camps. Either humble circumstances, which is a very kind way of saying people who don't have much, right? Not much money, not much possession. And then people who are of not a humble circumstance, basically people who are affluent. They're wealthy. Financially, they're taken care of. James says that people who are poor should not complain about their poverty, but rejoice in the fact that God has provided what he has provided. Guys, the bottom line is this. We don't deserve the air that we are breathing right now. So we have nothing else. God has been gracious in the fact that he has given us blood in our veins and air in our lungs. And I think many of us, all of us, forget this, including myself. So the poor must be reminded that God has provided enough for them to be living at the moment. And then the rich must not find joy in their wealth, but be humble, grateful, and generous with that wealth. And so both sides of the tracks, right, should be happy with where they are. Now, what happens is this. People who have material very little, that, that, that don't have much in the material world, can fall into the sin of envy and jealousy. We've seen this. Again, in 2016, our nation showed our butts when it came to envy and jealousy, right? We, we threw stones at the one percenters and we talked about people who had money and we, we demonized all these people who had more than us and we fell into the sin of envy and jealousy. And then people who have a lot typically fall into the sin of greed and they fall into the sin of the temptations that money can give us, right? And so if, all, if you were to give everyone everything they wanted, that wouldn't work out well for a lot of us because we don't have the self-control to handle that kind of financial freedom. So with God, if we have God in our lives, 
We can handle poverty. We can handle wealth. And both of those things can lead us into sin if we don't have God. But the point James is trying to make is find your contentment in the Lord, not in what you don't have or what you do have. That's the point of what James is trying to say. And if we endure these trials, right, James says we're blessed. First, if we endure hard times, we grow in our character. We start to be more like the Beatitudes. If you've never read those, it's Matthew chapter 5. We start to look more like the Beatitudes that Jesus wanted us to look like, right? The salt and light of the earth if we endure these trials. Now, here's the thing. Having the trial is not the blessing. God doesn't expect us when we're flat broke or awful things have happened for us just to look up and be like, this is so awesome, right? I am so happy right now that I cannot pay the electric bill. That's not what God expects out of us. But God expects us to trust him and to know that when we make it through that trial, it's not the trial that's the blessing, it's the maturity and the wisdom that we gain by getting through the trial that is a blessing. So God not only rewards us with growth now, God will reward us with the crown of life, James says, in heaven, that there is an eternal reward for those of us that trust him now in these trials. There's an eternal reward. There's a heaven. There's a place without any trials that is waiting for us. And so outward trials, right? When we get put through the ringer, when we go through junk, if we're not careful, outward things start to develop inward sin. Our attitudes start to get bad. Now, God may send us trials. He may send things in our life, but we're never to blame God when we make the wrong decision in sin. So God allows trials to come into our life to produce holiness in us, to produce maturity, produce perseverance, to produce endurance in His people. And so anytime, though, that trials come into our life, and we make the wrong decision, it is not God's fault. There are so many times that people come up to me, why is God making me get divorced? No, 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 wait a second. The degradation of your relationship is not God's fault. That's your fault. And I'm not trying to be cold, but we need to be very careful when we point the finger at God and say, God, why am I in this situation? God, why am I sinning right now? Whoa, God says, I didn't make you sin. I don't want you to sin. Sin is detestable to God. He doesn't want you to go down that road. So whenever, says, whenever people say God is tempting me, God is not tempting you. Evil is repulsive to God. Second, he doesn't use evil to tempt anyone. It's true that God will sometimes put us in positions to where we can, we can make the wrong choice, but these situations are to build us up, not cause us to go down, not cause us to fall. How do we know that? We know because Peter says it's not God's will for anyone to sin. It is his will for all of us to go to heaven, not to go to hell. So God doesn't put things in our life in order to cause us to fall. He put things in our life in order for us to be risen up, for our character to be built, for us to become stronger, right? So, this one scripture that, that, that I hope you put a star by or highlight or do something so you can remember this one verse. This, I think it's verse 15. Verse 15 talks about the path that sin takes us down. So here's what happens. When we are disconnected from God, our selfish desires start to manifest in our heart because we're weak. What happens is, and guys, all of us do this, what happens is when we're not praying the way we should, when we're not reading the Bible the way we should, when we're not in Christian community the way we should, it starts to open up this gap. And when this gap opens up, it opens up a slight door for sin to come in. And what happens is after desire starts to creep its way into our lives, then we start to become tempted more. And when temptation is, James says, conceived, when we put temptation into action, we sin. And that sin causes us to go down a road that we don't want to go down. When sin is unaddressed, when we don't repent for our sin, when we don't address the sin, it grows to the point that it produces spiritual death, and sometimes it produces physical death. There are so many things that people find themselves in that lead to physical death that could have been prevented if people were living the kind of lives that they should have been living. And I don't mean that to sound harsh, but my goodness, so much happens to people 
And they say, well, it was just God's timing. I don't know if it was. I think we made poor decisions that led us to a place that we weren't supposed to go. And so sometimes it's not God's timing. Sometimes it's not His will. The thing is this, temptation in and of itself is not a sin. To be tempted is not a sin. It's when we act on that. When we start to justify sinful acts, right? Well, I haven't had intimacy with my husband for X amount of time, so it's okay that I read this book or watch this thing, right? When we start to justify it, when we start to make excuses, when we start to partake in these things, we fall into sin. And when we fall into sin, you see a complete degradation of the individual. And if the individuals start to fall apart, we see a complete degradation of society in general. We start to see society fall apart. Here's the thing about the devil, and I'm gonna get a little charismatic with you guys in here. Here's the thing about the devil, and here's the thing about Christianity. We fight a battle that is not like the movies, right? It's not like Constantine, where we have like shotgun shaped like crosses, right? That's not what spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare is there's this battle going on right now as we speak, and it is for the hearts and minds and ultimately the souls of you. And there's a battle between heaven, and there's a battle, a battle between hell. And these things are raging right now, and the Bible says that your, ad, your adversary, your enemy, the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy you is walking around all the time looking for a crack, looking for a way to slip in, right? That's why the Bible says we must be sober, we must be vigilant, we must be guarded. That's what Peter says, because our enemy is always looking to destroy us. Therefore, we need to make sure that there is no cracks. We need to make sure that the door of sin is shut, completely shut. Now, we can't do that on our own. But fortunately, we have a helper. Here's the thing. God is the source of all things good. And we must know that without God, there is nothing good in us. Even those who don't acknowledge God, but they do good things, it's only by the grace of God that they do them. They just don't know it yet. So whenever people say, well, I've got this friend that, you know, he's a, he's a complete, I don't know, he's a, a Satanist, right? Let's go to some extreme. He worships the devil, but he's a really friendly guy. Well, even though he worships the devil, his friendliness is a gift that God gave him his personality, his attitude, whatever the case may be. Here's the thing. Culture constantly tells us this, and I think Corey even hit on this last week, that we are to look inside ourselves, right? Follow our hearts. Every Disney movie that we own, somewhere in there, there's a song about this, right? And every time that song comes on, I look at my five-year-old and my eight-year-old, and I'm like, you know that's crap, right? And they're like, we know, Dad. And I say that all the time. Do not follow your heart. Your heart will deceive you. Your heart will lead you to places you shouldn't go. Follow the Holy Spirit that should be occupying your heart. That's what we follow. If we follow our heart, we're going to lie to ourselves. We're going to deceive ourselves. We're going to do things that we shouldn't do. So we have help, and the help is not our heart, because there's no good in my heart. The only good in Corey Trimble is Jesus Christ that's in me. That is it. And the only good that's in you is Jesus Christ in you. That's it. There is nothing good. So whenever people say, well, just look inside yourself. Unless Jesus is in you, don't do that because you're going to do something foolish, okay? <laughs> Getting sassy. I kind of got a headache right now, so maybe that's what it is, right? Let me let you in on how, how, how awful of a person I was today. So I went to a prayer thing this morning. Well, that sounds like a good thing, Corey. It does. It was at 7 o'clock. It was on the square. A bunch of churches got together, North Boulevard and Bel Air, and a bunch of us got together. We prayed around the square. Really, really neat, right? The bad part is, is I went home and I'm like, man, we don't have any breakfast food. So I got a dozen donut country donuts, right? And not like glazed ones, stuff that is all just filled with stuff, right? You know, like took them home and, and we just, that's what I ate for breakfast and lunch. So uh, all I've had today is donuts. Anyways, so I'm like doing this up here and I've had two cups of coffee from Starbucks and so if I, if I fall over, it's, it's, uh, it's because I have not been a good steward of my temple. So, um, so the culture and beliefs of the world are constantly changing. And James knew this. Even in James' time, he knew that people were constantly changing. The beliefs, the culture of the world. So James says this is not how God works. How the earth turns and different shadows are cast because the earth is revolving. That's not the way God works. God does not change. There are no different seasons with God. God is always the same. He does not change. Therefore, he has no shadows. 
God is always illuminating. He's always illuminating with the truth. He's always illuminating the darkness in us and around us. So James wanted to encourage his readers. God is constant. He's true. And since God is constant and true, there's no variation. There's no shifting in God. His character is always good. It's, it's, it's unchanging. It's reliable. It's faithful. And those that have accepted Jesus Christ, he's talking about the one in James' time, that they are the first fruits, that they are the ones who get to go out and they have the honor of being the first Christians. And that from that, even we are products of these first believers. And we're to continue that on, that we go share the gospel and we, can, we continue to spread uh, the good news about Jesus Christ to those around us. Okay, next part. My dearly loved brothers, understand this. And this is huge too, guys. If you have a pen, again, Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not forgetful, is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does." Again, this is huge. This is extremely simple instruction on how to move forward. James warns against passive faith. Say that one more time. There is no such thing in Christianity as a passive faith. We are called not only to listen to the teachings of the Bible, but we are also called to do the teachings of the Bible. We always need to be asking ourselves, are we still just listening to a lecture every week? Or are we absorbing the Word of God, applying the Word of God, conforming to the Word of God, and then doing the Word of God? If you just come to church and hear me every week, and this is the only Bible you get, it's not enough. It's not enough. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to be out not just hearing the Word of God, but doing what the Word of God says. James is huge on this. Now, here's the thing about learning the Word of God and listening to the Word of God. Now, this is so mean, but I don't mean for it to be. It's impossible for us to learn if we don't shut up sometimes. The Bible is, is so simple. And James, this may be one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible because I need to do it more. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and be slow to anger. If our culture drops the ball on anything, we are quick to respond, we already know everything, and we're always ticked off at something, right? This is the exact opposite of what our culture is. Not only can we not listen and learn if we are constantly being distracted and speaking, but we may say things that we regret. And sometimes things come out of our mouth, guys, we can't stuff it back in. So we say hurtful things, we say foolish things, sometimes we say false things that can really hurt people long term. So this is Corey's opinion. The greatest, the greatest tools and weapons that Satan has right now at his disposal are distraction, busyness, and narcissism. Amen. Amen. Hey, think about it a second. Everyone on planet Earth is busy. We're not really accomplishing anything sometimes, but we're busy. We're always busy. We're doing something we're always on the phone, right? We're driving on the phone, got the kids in the car, the dog on our lap, you know, everything going on. And we think this is a good idea. We're distracted. We're always busy. We're always thinking about ourselves first. And these are some of, of Satan's greatest tools right now. So we need to be humble and we need to find a time to be quiet and listen to the Lord to listen to something positive. And the reason why we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger, is anger doesn't get us closer to God. We cannot hear God if we are distracted, if we are resentful, if we are full of hate, 
or if we have bad attitudes. We cannot hear him. And our culture exudes anger, and our culture exudes offense. (laughs) Everyone is offended. Everyone's been hurt, and I want everyone to know about it. But God tells us to be deliberate and to think before we speak and we act. Christians are to be pure, peaceful, considerate, selfless, impartial, and merciful. And here is the big one, and it's in hot pink. Not easily offended. Christian, don't be so easily offended. That person's liberal. I'm just going to write a hateful blog about him. Because that's what Jesus would do, right? Don't be so offended. Guys, let me let you in on something. We can't expect non-Christians to act like Jesus because they're non-Christians. So I can't put that standard on them if they don't know that standard. I have to be empathetic. I have to be kind. I have to show them the love of Christ, not be mean to them and not get offended so easily. Guys, and I'll tell you, this is in hot pink because I struggle with it, right? I walk into a place and if like they're not refilling my drink fast enough, I'm like, it's because I got tattoos, right? You know, or I just think of something in my head. And I think that they're going to treat me differently. And quite frankly, maybe the girl's just overwhelmed. Maybe she's got a, a bunch of tables because the other person didn't show up to work. And we don't, we're not empathetic. And we as Christians need to be the most empathetic people on planet earth. We need to be so kind and so understanding with people. We need to be peaceful. We need to be pure. So how do we move in the right direction? Here's the thing. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, God will not occupy the same space as another God. And if you get into 1 Samuel uh, chapter 5, it's a great story where they put the Ark of the Covenant in the same room as Dagon, who was a false god, right? The Philistine god. Come to find out that the first day they walk in, the story, uh, the statue of Dagon had fallen over. And they were like, well, that's weird, right? So they put this huge statue of Dagon, who is half fish, half man, really cool God, right? So they put him back on his podium. They come in the next day in the Ark of the Covenant, and Dagon was in this room, except Dagon had fallen over again, and his head and hands had been cut off. A big 30-foot statue. And the moral of the story in 1 Samuel 5 is, God will not share the same space with another God. Someone has to go. So listen. In order for us to receive, as James says, the implanted word that is able to save us, in order for us to receive the word of God, we must get rid of the evil inside of us. That's that's what the Bible says. So the reason why, and this is going to be offensive, but it's the truth, and it's been in my life too, the reason why many of us can't get the freedom that we want is because we walk in two different worlds, and our allegiance is divided between multiple gods. Well, I'm not worshiping a half fish, half man God on a pedestal. No, no, no. But we worship the God of social media or sports or even a person. And we have these other things that quite frankly are more important than us, than the true God. And God's like, I don't have room in your heart. You've already filled it up with something else. So we cannot receive the word that gives us freedom unless we get all that other crap out of our heart. Unless we make sure our priorities are in order the way God wants them to be. So we learn this from a guy named David, right? If anyone has made any mistakes in the Bible, it was David. Oddly enough, a man after God's own heart. Now, how can a guy who had adultery and tried to kill the other dude, how can that possibly be a man after God's own heart? The reason why he was a man after God's own heart is he acknowledged that he had messed up. He took ownership of it. He begged for God's mercy. Corey, you should never have to beg. When you did the things David did, it says that he fasted and prayed so hard that he passed out asking for God's forgiveness because he had offended his Lord. He pleaded for God to forgive him, pleaded for God to cleanse him, and he asked for God to make him new again for renewal. This is how all of us should respond to the sin in our lives. This is how all of us should respond to a God that has shown us grace So from true repentance, when we're like David, a man after God's own heart that lays down on his face and says, God, I am so sorry that I did something against you. After we truly repent, we see obedience. We demonstrate repentance and allegiance to God by obeying his commands. James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Because we are just deceiving ourselves 
if we think simply knowing the truth saves us. Guys, again, and people don't like to hear this stuff. Later on in the book of James, James kind of drops the mic when he says, right, even the devils in hell know that Jesus is the Savior. And they're still in hell. So just knowing that Jesus is the Savior does not save us. It is doing what Jesus has commanded us to do that saves our soul. That's what saves our soul. That's in the words of James. So our problem is this, quite frankly, is we have forgotten who we are. James says a lot of us, and I've been in this position, we're like people that look in a mirror, we're like, that's Corey Trimble. And then we walk away and we go, who, who am I again? I forgot who I was. If we hear the word of God, but we don't live the word of God, we're like people who for a moment know who we are, but right when we walk away from the mirror, we forget. We completely forget what we're supposed to do. So in our culture, we have an epidemic level identity crisis. We find our identity and so many other things and we don't find it in the Lord. And all other problems that we have on planet earth right now are symptoms of the fact that we don't know who we are. Corey, we gotta address the gay issue. We gotta address the drug issue. We gotta address the abortion issue. Don't get me wrong, all those, all those issues need to be addressed and talked about, but those are all symptoms of the fact that we don't know how God looks at us. If we would know how God looks at us, if we would know about grace and the relationship we have with Jesus Christ or could have with him, all those other things would work themselves out. But we don't know who we are. We don't know where our identity should be found. Therefore, we do the things that we do that are counterproductive. So when we do find our relationship with Jesus, that's when we find true freedom. And we live in a world that is looking for liberation. We're looking for freedom. But what's funny is the more we look for liberation and freedom apart from God, the more depression, anxiety, self-harm, suicide skyrockets. And so the world tells us that these things will fulfill us. And we just had the second rock star in a month, right? Kill himself. The second one but they had everything, right? Young, attractive, millionaire, all these awards, all these things, and we see it again. So verse 25 says that God brings us freedom, and from that freedom, from that liberation, we do good works. We bless other people because we're free. And when we live in freedom and we bless other people, God blesses us. God takes care of us, okay? Here's the last part. If anyone, and this one hits me, big time, right? If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by this world. This is the mark of a Christian. So, good old James, right? He has to call out how we use our tongue. The whole sticks and stones things that we were taught when a kid is completely a lie. <laughs> sticks and stones will never hurt you. I, can, I could poll everyone in this audience and say, can you remember the time that your parents put you down for this? Or someone said this about you and it's still stuck. 30 years later, 40 years later, words can be the most damaging thing that a person can use. Therefore, James, I think it's chapter three, devotes almost an entire chapter to the tongue. So here's the thing, and, and this is for all of us in this room, all of us. If we claim to be Christians, but we gossip, we lie, we swear at people, we condescend or we slander, we are not Christians. We are lying to ourselves. You know what the Bible says? If we can't love people around us that we can see, there's no way that we can love a God that we cannot see. That's what the Bible says. So whenever we have no control over our tongue, James, the brother of Jesus, the word of God, says that our faith is useless, is useless. So here's what he's getting at though. The tongue is a symptom of a much deeper problem. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's here eventually comes out here. So what James is getting at is this. If you can't control this, it means that there's a problem with this. So we have to go back to the source. There's a heart issue. So religious practice without inner control has no saving power. Are works important? Of course works are important. But sincere works come from the fact that we have a pure heart. 
how we talk. Guys, and I'm just going to, we're just going to get down to it. You know those times when you're alone and something doesn't work out and all of a sudden these words just start coming out of you? It's because they were here. And guys, I've done it. I've got an old Ford that I work on sometimes and you spend six hours doing something, you go to turn the key and nothing happens, right? And these words come out. And you're like, Corey, you got to check your heart, man. There is something in here. There is something wrong with me right now. Because out of the abundance of this, I speak. And that's when the true Corey really comes out. And the true Corey needs some fixing. The true Corey needs some help. I need some heart things fixed. Because evidence of our faith comes in two ways, right? One is how we show love, how we speak to people, our compassion, our servitude to people, especially to those people who are defenseless. When he says widows and orphans, that doesn't mean that we just need to be helping widows and orphans. He's saying true faith in Jesus Christ helps the people who can't help themselves that we help the defenseless. The other thing we do is we live a life unstained by the world. We love the part about social gospel helping widows and orphans, but we don't like the part about being unstained from the world, which means that we need to live lives that are up to God's standards, God's principles, avoid things that are evil. This is what a Christian does. So let's go back, right? Let's just do a quick crash course of what we learned today. Practical stuff. The first thing is this, if you're going through some garbage right now, if you're going through a trial, if you're going through temptation, if you're going through these, these hard things that are happening right now in your life, if you're struggling in some way, we need to step back and objectively look and say, what in the heck is God trying to teach me right now? What am I trying to learn in this? Remember this when you're going through trials. Trials are not meant to crush you, they're meant to grow you. They're meant to make you sharper. You guys know how you get pure gold, right? You have to refine it. You have to turn the heat up really, really hot. The impurities come to the surface and someone scrapes off the impurities and you're left with pure gold. That's what God does to us. He turns the heat up on us sometimes to bring the impurities to the surface so he can wipe them away and he leaves us pure. He leaves us clean. If you're in here and you're in poverty, a, the church is here to help you to the best of our abilities. But even in poverty, we must remember that God provides. Here's the thing about the United States. Some of the poorest people in the United States globally are still some of the richest. We live in a nation that is so benevolent and so good, and sometimes we take a lot of it for granted. So in poverty, we need to remember that God still provides. And in wealth, we need to remember that it's all God's and that we can easily be tempted, we can easily be distracted with the freedom that financial, that, that, that financial freedom gives us, that we can be distracted. We must also be persuaded. If you are in here and you are a Christian, you need to step back and say, come hell or high water, as, as Habakkuk in the Old Testament said, God, if nothing good ever happens again, I think it's chapter three, if the fig tree never blooms, if the crop never produces any fruit, I'm still in, God. Are we there? Are we at a place in our mind like Paul, who was beaten and left for dead on more than one occasion? Are we at a place where we say, I am persuaded that neither angels, demons, anything can come against me and remove God's love for me? Are we there? Are we there? Are we persuaded? Are we persuaded up here that God is the answer, regardless of what happens? Some of us need to move from just hearing the word of God via me, the Bible, a podcast, whatever the case may be, from just hearing it to actually doing it, working on how we speak to each other, working on benevolence, working on servitude, actually doing, putting into practice the things the Bible talks about. Listen, all of us in this room need to pray that God controls the tongue. You know, it says that no one can control the tongue except for God. That's what the Bible says. We need to ask for God's help. And what that leads back to is a heart issue. So we need to take an honest inventory. I don't know if you guys ever do this, but ask yourself and ask honestly, do we love and serve those around us? And we all say, yes, of course, we all love those around us. And how? How do you love them? How do you serve them? How are you showing them the love of God the Creator, God the Father? How are you doing that? Not just that. Are we staying unstained from the world? Guys, I'll tell you what, it is very difficult to stay unstained from the world. 
I have an eight and a half year old daughter, my, my oldest, and she is, girl can pray like most adults can't pray. Just a, a beautiful, wonderful girl. She'll be at the seven o'clock. The other day, my wife picks up the iPad and there's this app that was downloaded. My, and my little girl was being innocent. She, she searched free apps for kids. Downloaded this app, it doesn't show anything, but it's a conversation between teenagers about skipping class and having oral sex, right? Free apps for kids. And so we had to have this long conversation with her. There was a bunch of words my daughter can read excellently, but words that she's never seen before because eight-year-olds shouldn't see these words. But we had to have this conversation, right? This whole process has been accelerated. Normally, you tell a 10, 12-year-old about this stuff. We're having to tell eight-year-olds about this stuff because it's becoming more and more difficult to stay unstained from the world. The world is coming at us. It's coming at our children. The Bible says to be unstained from that, which means we need to be diligent about not partaking in things that are evil. Guys, let me be a jerk for a second. There are some TV shows you shouldn't watch. There's some music you shouldn't listen to. There are some websites you shouldn't go to. There's some stuff that a Christian should just not do. But it's really good acting. Awesome. Is it worth heaven? I mean, come on. Is it worth your children getting addicted to things that they shouldn't get addicted to? Is it worth opening up a door in your home to have those things come in? Some of you guys need to check what you're watching on Netflix. And that's not me being legalistic. That's me taking the Bible and putting it in practical terms. Stay away from some of those things. They're dangerous. They're not good for you. And here's the biggest thing, because in my opinion, the biggest crisis we have on planet Earth is we need to remember where our identity is found. It is not found in our wealth. It's not found in who's hurt us. It's not found in the scars that I have from this life. It's not found in my accomplishments. It's not found in my marriage. It's not found in my social media likes and friend base, friend base, all these things, right? That's not where my identity is found. My identity is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if my identity is found there, I can remain unstained from the world. I can control my tongue. I can live the kind of life that God wants me to live. Guys, I love you. I love you so much. And, and sometimes it is so easy, at least in word, right? But we need to go out and just simply apply these things. Monday through Friday on the weekends, we just need to put these simple things. Go back and reread chapter one. And ask yourself the hard questions. Am I doing these things? What is my tongue? You know, how am I using my tongue? Am I staying unstained from the world? Where do I find my identity? Ask yourself these hard questions. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, God, I love you. Um, before we take communion tonight, God, and we remember, we take a moment to, to think about what you've done for us, Lord. To think about the fact that your son died on a cross for us and, and, and shed his blood and was violently beaten because of our sin and because he loves us, Lord. God, before we take communion, I pray, Jesus, that we can ask for repentance, that we can ask you to forgive us, Lord, and address the sin in our lives, God. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who's not a Christian, I pray that something today just sparked an interest in them and that they would keep digging and they would keep looking and maybe they would see the practical side of this and say, wow, this actually makes sense. It's actually logical and, and applicable. God, all of us in this room who may be going through trials, all of us in this room who are going through hard times and maybe confusing situations, God, Lord, let us have the courage to ask for wisdom because if you will give us wisdom, we'll be able to navigate these things with your help. God, help us, Lord, not to, to, to be mad at you for the things we're going through, God, but to look at these as opportunities to grow. And Lord Jesus, let our identity be found in you. Not anything we do, but what you have done for us on the cross and how much you love us. God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. Now guys, there'll be people up here on my right and left to pray for you if you need prayer. There's communion all the way around you if you wanna help yourself to communion. Thank you guys so much. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I'll see you next week.